Hi, and welcome back to the Life in Bomb City podcast. I'm Aaron Favor. And I'm Dr. Beth Rodriguez. And we are coming to you live today from the FM90 Panhandle PBS studios right here in the Texas Panhandle at Amarillo College. Yes, gosh, I can't believe it's been a year. That's right. It's been uh, it's been over a year, That's and right. we represent the Social and Behavioral Sciences Department, so we have a lot of things to talk about today. We do. Just kind of catching up on the different things that we've been through during this whole pandemic, which we probably could share with a lot of people because I know that a lot of experiences are probably very similar, um, yet we do have our individual um, struggles that people are going through. And I think it's going to be really interesting just to see as we are transitioning back to what we consider to be normal. Definitely. And and in the classroom, we're getting ready to have in-face classes again. Oh, uh, so excited been, about yeah, that. We've been online for over a year. Uh, it's been It's been a learning experience. There is nothing more educational than being completely jarred from your reality and being tossed into a whole another world where, I mean, you may have been to some degree acclimated to some of it, but not permanently. Right. And that's pretty much what we were doing, uh, I guess, for the last year. Yeah. Again, it was one of those things that we thought we would, you know, it was something we had to do at that time, but who knew it was going to last that long? Yeah. Who could have predicted that? I you mean, know, I think in, in November of 2019, uh, we were talking to my Texas government class and then we began continuing that conversation over because I thought it was interesting all of the scientists that were disappearing in China at that particular time in the Wuhan province. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to get word out and they were putting it on YouTube and other, I guess, other social media. And they kept disappearing. And I thought this was really weird. Uh, but that was the beginning of a conversation that we ended up having over a long extended period of time. Mm -hmm. And that leads in, leads into the new year and the I guess what we would consider to be the the beginning of the the global aspect of it. Um, not saying that China covered it up, okay? Not saying that. <laughs> just saying that they were disappearing doctors, and yeah. that was a little bit strange, especially at the very beginning. Um, but anyway, outside of that. Uh, what has been going on inside your world? Oh my goodness. So of course, yeah, we, like we talked about, we had all of our students transition to basically like a Zoom class. So everybody was online and that was a huge change. I am such a people person in my class. Let's have this discussion. And we lost that. And that was a big um, transition. And then of course I have three kids. So, you know, after spring break of last time, I, they were home. They were home, and so not only was I doing my stuff, we were doing their things, and um, you know, trying to keep them busy, but not around people. It was a really different thing. And then finally, we finally got back into sports, and my oldest, his eighth grade year, broke his ankle, couldn't play his football year, and then his last year of in middle school. And then recently, my middle one just broke his ankle. Oh, man. And it, we are um, dealing, still dealing with sports things, which we love. Um, and, you know, just life in general. And, I mean, there's a lot of new initiatives that have been coming into the college. Um, 
there is a new movement, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard about, which is the anti-racism movement, um, just because of all the controversy with the George Floyd incident and, you know, the following incidents that happened afterwards. And um, we were lucky enough to be invited to have these conversations with people. And so Aaron well, you and I- were, and you, yeah. you invited me into that group. <laughs> I did. And, um, I, I just needed, it. you know, I, I think that, you know, we talk about allies that, I mean, everybody's talking about allies and, um, in the group that I, you know, I felt like I needed a little bit more of an ally, somebody not necessarily that's going to fully agree with me because we don't, but somebody who, you know, had same kind of the moral standing and values right. that, um, were that I'm coming from. And so, yes, I definitely had and said, we need this guy because he's not only, you know, some of the morals and values that I have, uh, which I do, but also because he is a policy guy. And this yeah. is, um, from what I was understanding with our anti-racism committee here at Amarillo College, we were really looking at changing these um, major policies to get rid of all racism. Mm-hmm. That's right. And in addition to that, I think that there's a, there's a whole list of uh, different people that I think to some degree we have uh, as a kind of a canon of, of reasonable thought that would agree with that. I think uh, one of the most controversial probably would be Robert McNamara, the former Secretary of Defense during the Vietnam War, uh, who who said that, you know, in his uh, claimed uh, documentary, The Fog of War, uh, said that if you can't convince people that are of similar reason, maybe different cultures, but similar reason, and come from different places, then maybe it's time to re-examine your reasoning. And Mm. that's just a a lesson that he had learned from Vietnam, in which he had gotten put into kind of this upper echelon echo chamber of what he was believing about the war, and about the way they were fighting the war, and about the optimistic values of the war, and um, what they were trying to achieve, and they got lost in everything, and it became an incredibly complex. And if you talk to people that fought in Vietnam, or people that uh, were making policy during Vietnam out of the DoD, anybody that was working for the State Department at that time, they will say everything had to be qualified, and there is absolutely nothing that didn't need more qualification. Yeah. So I kind of find us in a you know in a in a similar position, and not only through the pandemic, but the pandemic also created an umbrella under which other things could happen that maybe wouldn't have had the social force if we weren't all sitting at home right. watching the news. And watching social media and, you know, everything that's being put out on Twitter and whatever else. I think that that, you know, it was like the epidemic led into the media and social media and people posting on social media having more control than they ever did before because we are very reliant on it because what else are we doing? Exactly. Right? We talk, I mean, everybody was, you know, have, reading books and singing songs, which, you know, was a beautiful thing that was came from the ability to have social media so that could happen. But then it also gave people who had a voice on something a platform where people were almost not necessarily forced, but, you know, they were very captive. And therefore, if even if it was something that was way out there, um, could definitely have some followers. And I think that that was something that wouldn't have happened if we didn't have COVID. 
I think that if that whole situation didn't happen, I don't think it would have led to that same kind of, I don't think it would have been that same kind of reaction that we're seeing now. It's an interesting statement. You know, I think that for, for sure that first month, particularly, I remember clinging to the musicians that I listen to that I love and the, you know, the, all of the covers that they were doing, yeah. you know, the, all these musicians were supporting each other. And people forget that that's a very tight-knit community, even though they may hate on each other. Right. A lot of times, whenever it comes down to economic disparity and economic, you know, despair, just they uh, they have a tendency to really get behind each other. And we are the world. <laughs> we Remember are the world. that? And the children. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That whole thing where people were like, okay, we know there's something going on. People do value music and so it's like wouldn't that be a perfect place for us to really bring up what's going on and i think i think you're absolutely right um i think it's really neat how that works in future conversations i think that it does deserve an entire portion of sure. uh, to, to devote to i think that we are probably going to need to invite somebody from either the health department or somebody from the center for disease control or something along those lines maybe one of these doctors that have been on the front lines to visit about the culture that's kind of been created as a result of COVID as well, that is a medical culture, that mm -hmm. is also a social culture. Um, and I think to some degree, you um, as a social psychologist mm -hmm. probably speak to some of our, uh, some of our, our friends and our relatives that have, uh, really been, I believe, traumatized by this, Absolutely. including, including our children. Oh, I 100%. Um, I, you know, my biggest thing is we constantly have this isolation and I, you know, the biggest group I think really suffered from it would be the first time the people who just got into college because, you know, they have these expectations and all of a sudden, you know, they're in between, like, what am I supposed to be doing? And, um, some of them have moved out and, not only you're, there's going to be an adjustment from moving out from your family in the first place. Now you've moved out and now you're isolated. And we know, I mean, if just from history, isolation is not a cure. It, that's a, I don't, I can't think of the word that is a punishment. I was like, yeah, so it is a punishment to be isolated, right? We talk about that. People don't, I mean, even though we do have people who are you know, considered introverts. Introverts still like to be around people. That's not, right. that's a very big misconception that it's only extroverts, but introverts do. You, we are social creatures as humans. So being, during this isolation, we saw an increase in so many mental, um, mental health issues, anxiety, stress, um, depression. I mean, because it all comes from the idea of fear, because it is a scary, it was a very scary situation, but also from isolation and the fact that no, nobody knew. They're really the uncertainty is a horrible, horrible factor on people and their mental health. Yeah, and and in addition, and I guess from the policy angle, uh, the the other side of that coin is that the the question of overreaction or underreaction. Um, I always I'm very sympathetic to and empathetic to our leaders. I cannot imagine what kinds of conversations were being taken place, were taking place um, in some of those different uh, closed rooms. And, you know, saying things like, 
it took place in a closed room sounds like it's anti-democracy or anti-republicanism. And I would argue against that. I would say that we elect people specifically to hold trust so that they can go into that room, represent our interests, whether we like it or not. And we always have the opportunity to take them out of office when they don't. So anybody that's listening, don't send us mail and don't, <laughs> uh, don't throw tomatoes at us if you see us on the street. That's a value that I share with you. However, I also want to put out there as an extra thing to think about that, you know, the people that are in there, they're talking to all the professionals that we are listening to. And, and you know, there's been, which leads to a different, a whole other topic and maybe, maybe another uh, <laughs> episode, which is um, that uh, the discrediting of some of mm -hmm. the medical community and uh, what, what doctors have done and what they've said. Um, has turned out to be because they're because they're operating on the fly. I would argue not dissimilar to uh, some of the the ways that we have had to interact with national security threats in the past, like 9/11, where people start poking holes right. in the arguments because they're making the best decisions they can at the time, and then it comes back that that wasn't true. Right? Like right. we found out that we shouldn't be wearing masks. That's okay. And now Dr. Fauci is like religious about wearing masks. The discrediting of Dr. Fauci mm -hmm. um, as, a, as an example as well. The uh, Oh, and we have a new president as well. So yeah. that is a... Oh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> what a year. Yes. Um, people compared it to 1968 and to, you really? know, something like a, a major transitional mm -hmm. year. I, uh, I, I have a tendency to, to disagree with that. And, um, and the reason I do, those were... Those were exceptional years uh, for different reasons. When we go back and we look at public health as a security issue, it was 1917, you know, 1918, and 1919, uh, the Spanish flu pandemic, which would be considered racist today. Mm -hmm. um, to call it the Spanish flu pandemic, I think it's still okay to call it that. Maybe well, that's the name of it. So. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, it's the. a lot of people think it was the H1N1 bug. It probably is the H1N1 bug, and I'm sure there's some health official that's like, it was. Yeah. Yeah, 100%, <laughs> Aaron, and don't call it the swine flu ever. Uh, that's what... Uh, that would be something that would be argued. That's a, that, that's a political thing. And it ended up having 10,000 pigs slaughtered in Egypt uh, back yes. in 2010 or 2011. Anyway, so I guess the, the, bigger, uh, the bigger issue there is that when uh, we start having uh, these comparisons that go on with other years, um, maybe we've had uh, some type of an imagination where we wonder what it would be like to live through one of those years. Right. But someday we need to remember that the people will look back on this year and they'll say, well, wow, what a year to be alive. You know, um, maybe I'll feel differently if I'm blessed to live to be 80 years old. But right now I am, and I, and I feel like there was a certain amount of health um, uh, thankfulness and gratefulness mm -hmm. that I need to say because I know there were a lot of lives lost and a lot yes. of people that lost their family members. And, you know, I'm, this is one of those situations in which um, I'm not like, I'm not discrediting the personal trauma that's happening. And, um, but a lot of times when what was happening because the social media and everybody was home, this personal trauma was brought to the forefront to seen as more of a catastrophe. And, um, and it, 
I mean, it was, I'm not saying like, I'm not discrediting the loss of life because it never, is it okay? It's not great. I'm not like, oh, well, it's only 4,000 people. Any loss is awful because you know, there is a personal impact to somebody. But what I'm saying is, is that, um, you know, because people had such a voice during this time through social media and different things like that, their personal tragedy became more of a political, more country kind of thing where, you know, it's very possible that it could have happened and we might not have known about it. And therefore, you know, you and I necessarily wouldn't be responsible for something that happened in Indiana. You know what I'm saying? But because of, you know, how much was shared and how much was reported through the news and the media, it now became a world responsibility. Um, And, you know, I mean, it's very difficult. And I'm, and we know if we really started reporting every death, not just COVID, we, (laughs) I think people would realize like, oh my gosh, like that is a situation that we could not, we could not fathom, we could not function with because we would constantly be worried that someone's going to die. And the sad, sad thing is that people are. And, um, and it's, you know, it's something that everybody's going to have to deal with. And I'm not just, you know, not like, I don't know, not skating over the fact that it was a big deal because it is a big deal. But I'm, what I'm saying is that if we didn't have as much reporting from the media and everything, it might not have been as commercialized almost. Right. What it, the term REBT uh, is awfulized, catastrophized. And there was a lot of that thinking that was going on instead of minding the potholes in the alley. Yeah. And I always, gosh, as, okay. So as a, as somebody that does believe that the, uh, the most, the place where we see the government the most is in our local community. It really facilitates a conversation about our Amarillo Community College, what we're doing, oh, our initiatives true. in the future, all the different things that we do. We believe everything comes out of the uh, the individuals acting within the community that cause societal impact. Mm-hmm. And I think it can be argued uh, with quite a bit of evidence, and I'm I'd like to provide some of that. Um, right now, the claim might be that, you know, with uh, the economic crisis, right, that was faced as a result of COVID-19, I can understand the different needs for, um, for closures and, and shutting down and, and all of the different things that we have um, going on. Uh, and, and I have a, a deep, I have a deep sympathy uh, we have we've had family members of our own who died uh, from complications uh, developed by COVID nineteen. Um, on the other hand, um, and there's always seems to be kind of like a another approach to it. There's also the opportunity to address other concerns that might be present in American society. So the idea of awfulizing and catastrophizing was, you can almost argue, you know, um, hey, do it. Go do it as much as you can. And it seemed to be cradled Mm -hmm. in a way. Like, you need to be doing this. You need to go into um, this state of, and I I mean, I was susceptible to that at the very, very, I, then I've wanted to focus on my family. Right. And that's kind of what, 
I mean, that's what it really is about. Like if you, is if as individuals, we try to fix the world, it, God, that is so stressful because the truth, even, you know, I can do my part every five seconds, but if somebody's next to me, that's not, you know, it's like, and I can't, I can't control what anybody else is doing. I can only control my actions and my responses. And that's really what we did is we decided, okay, you know, we have some choices here and we can, you know, try to do everything or I can be with my family. And that's really what we did. And, you know, we were really lucky because during um, when everybody was locked down during the summer, a lot of people, we weren't. We were playing baseball. We were traveling Um and I know people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe you went to hotel. <laughs> but my mom, she's, she's the best. My mom um, made sure I had a hotel travel bag that had um, Lysol spray, Lysol wipes, a big, huge, like, refillable thing of hand sanitizer with two small things of hand sanitizer and then a medium one that we could keep in the room. I mean, it was like, and she's like, make sure you spray the phone, the door handles, the remote control, the lamp, you know, I mean, all the things. And we did. And it was, um, it was a constant, you know, like doing that. And as I'm doing it, I'm like, why am I just doing this now? Why am I, this should be something, if I'm really that worried, then this should have been something I'm doing the whole time because it's not like all of a sudden germs appeared when COVID did. Right. Like they've been here. And, um, you know, and then all these places like, well, we're wiping down the tables now. And it's like, well, what? Like, shouldn't you be doing that already? But, um, you know, it really did just make you, it just made me realize how important my family is. And I mean, and, you know, close friends and, you know, it just made you realize that again, it's bringing to light the idea that life is not promised, right? You cannot, I'm not saying tomorrow you're going to be here. So you have to, you know, go out, do the things you want to do, make sure you're, you know, around the people you want to be around and that you are having a good time and showing the love and the care and the respect because, you know, you don't, you just don't know. And it's not, I mean, COVID was definitely a reminder, but this is like every day, right? Like we should, this is just one of those things that kind of was like a slap in the face, like wake up, remember this could happen to anybody at all times. So I'm hoping that it did allow people to reprioritize and decide, okay, this is really what's important to me instead of, you know, worrying about a lot of things that you can't control and worry about. Yeah, Beth, I think that that, that 100%. Okay. There was, I think a, a point in, and we were like y'all, I think we got to April somewhere around mid April and we started looking at options. We don't have a huge house and we were in the backyard a lot. I began to be concerned about my son's uh, mental health and his well being as he's developing. Uh, and I'm very, uh, very much aware that, you know, as we're recording this, he might be able to listen to this later as a full grown man or, uh, you know, a teenager growing up. And I want him to know that that his parents were thinking about those things during this time, that his development, his personal growth, all of those different things. I don't want to disclose anything that might become embarrassing to him later yeah. <laughs> um, or keep him from getting the girls or whatever. Uh, but <laughs> at the same time, you know, he uh, he, like so many other kids, have now grown up for a year in the, one of the most formative 
times in their lives wearing nothing but masks, anytime they go out and being essentially afraid of germs or essentially afraid of viruses. And uh, that's what they've gotten since they've been back to school. Mm -hmm. um, I think we can make an argument. I think we're leaving out the collective good and the individual good and the balance that has to be created there. But that the worldviews that we come out of often shape the policies that we pursue, not only as individuals, which have great societal impact, and the policies that affect the collective, which have great societal impact. And they talk to each other, kind of like a married couple, mm -hmm. you know. And so our worldview, and I have to give a disclaimer, I'm not trying to proselytize to anyone, nor am <laughs> I trying to convert anyone, but our family is Catholic. And our worldview revolves around one thing, that we are not in control. God is in control, that there is sovereignty in God and trust and faith in God leads to prosperity, not success and prosperity as we may be thinking about it in terms of monetary wealth, um, but family, good uh, in orientation. It's a center for our family. It's a place where we go twice a day and um, give thanks for the day. And that's it, like you said, mm -hmm. you know, day to day and right. day to day. And that's, uh, that's a very in my mind, uh, an important distinction to be made between, and this is not to say any of the things that are going to be said because people can take things out of context and use one thing that, uh, that's being said and then uh, uh, come at you and try to attack you based on a straw man. And, of course, that's a fallacy, uh, an argument, but, you know, this is all recorded, so okay. do it and I'm going to hit you right back. Yeah. So... <laughs> The point is that it doesn't mean that, in, that the policymakers themselves don't have that worldview or don't come from it, but they're coming into meetings with that worldview and then making policy decisions and having discussions out of that worldview, and that has societal impact at a great from a great degree. People that don't come out of that worldview, that they're not essentially in control, and that people can't control everything, it leads to... And we do have a new president, and I'm not slamming the new presidential administration. I don't want to do that. However, um, he, uh, last night or the night before last, he did give a uh, his first address to Congress in which he said, we the people is we the government. And that is an interesting thing for us to talk about. Yeah. Uh, we the people is we the government. Maybe, I mean, I'm trying, I would try, right after I heard it, I was like, I need to think about this for a second yeah. because you know me, I've got to kind of like, <laughs> always, I got to process yeah. it a little bit, right? Um, because I want to try to understand if he's right, he's right. And if, if I'm wrong, then I want to be, I want to know that I'm wrong right. so that I can correct my thinking and uh, rationalize it in a way that's correct. In my mind, anyway. And right. and so when he said that, I thought, you know, maybe maybe this stems from some type of a, an increased amount of trust or the, you know, uh, the sense of being told what to do for so long that now it's okay to say that maybe what we've wanted to say for quite a while, our, our friends and our colleagues and, um, and our or people that we share this world with and uh, our statehood with, that there is a possibility that if we think hard enough, 
and if we just debate long enough, and if we just can science it enough, then we can control the events around us. And I just don't think that's right. I don't either. (laughs) I really, like I said, I mean, it's an individual. You can't, I can't, I can talk to you all day long and try to convince you and get you. But the truth is the only thing I really can control is my response and my emotion and my, so it's all about me. This is the things I can control. I can't even control my kids, which is, (laughs) that's questionable. However, (laughs) I mean, it's the truth. I mean, they have their own thinking. And even though, you know, I try to hopefully give them lots of experience to have their own, you know, control of their, themselves, they have, I mean, everybody has to realize that I cannot control what you do. I can't control what you think of me. I can't, you know, I can't do that. Only thing I can do is my actions and my behavior. <laughs> okay. Um, I know we're like getting into series, but before we move on, we were really talking about family and in this new year again, Aaron has brought in a new member into his family. He has a new baby girl. I do. And she is beautiful. Um, Ah, she's gorgeous. And one thing that, you know, we were talking about with the mask. um, So his wonderful wife brought the baby, uh, Rose, Rosie up. And um, we all got to see her. But I was sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this poor baby has only seen everybody with mask on. So I immediately looked at Aaron and I said, hey, I don't want to have my, can I look at her and talk to her without my mask on? And he was like, absolutely. Because I just, I mean, that is, I can't imagine what that would be like for the very first time you're in this world and you look at people and they all have masks on. And that's what you get used to, like your first interaction with people other than your parents, because obviously your parents wouldn't have a mask on in front of you, but is with a mask. I think that is a scary, um, kind of, even a science, like sci-fi type thing where I don't, I mean, it, she's going to, I felt like personally responsible that I cannot allow this to happen because she's going to have to be able to see a whole face to understand the interaction between people. And that's really what I am worried, to tell you the truth. I'm a little bit worried about the young generation, the very, the very young generation that has um, had this mask on and seen people with mask on for a full year. Because, I mean, a year in a kid's life of their development is, it, it's quite a bit especially the younger you are. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen in that development in one year for infants and toddlers and even preschool children. So, I mean, it it bothers me. Like, I'm worried that they're going to lose some of the social interaction and communication and verbal understanding because of the mask. Right. Don't worry, though. Social media has got you covered. <laughs> You're right. And but that that even makes me a little bit more nervous. Right. Is because should. they again, I mean, I can control what my kids are watching to a point, you know, and kids are brilliant. We do not give them enough credit in their cognitive abilities Touché. because they will they'll find you, you, you can control as much as parental control. Watch them all the time. Okay, there's somebody else who's going to see it. They just have this ability. And um, we have to be aware that you, even if you did everything you can do to control what your kids are seeing, they're still going to see stuff that you don't want them to see. 
It's going to happen. Um, but that's where the parenting comes in and you talk to them. But I just, I'm, I still think that, you know, I just, I want, I would love to see the research of what's happening with the social interactions, social communication, um, nonverbal facial expression for the generation that has lived a full year with masks. You should apply for a grant of some sort and you could do this in all your spare time that <laughs> yeah. you have right now. You know, I mean, I have the best intentions, great ideas. It's just the follow through, not always there because I have, I do have a little bit on my plate. Right. Like, right. I just, I mean, my kids are both all playing. Adrena and I are about to do private tennis lessons together. Oh, fun. And we got a puppy. Oh my gosh. Um, you know what? This is, I don't know. I love him. He's fantastic. He's a, a dachshund, which I never would have gotten. I always get big, like burly dogs that are crazy and, you know, just outside and big and bark. And then now we have this teeny tiny little dachshund and he is, his name's Oliver. He's amazing. Um, but I know that it was like the worst time ever. I haven't even told my mom that I got a puppy because I know what she's, she's going to be like, are you kidding? You are so busy. And you're, and I was like, huh. I figure I just, the more I put on my plate, <laughs> the more I get done, but that's not always true. Yeah. Well, I mean, with, I mean, having a, a new baby, even being at the hospital yeah. when she was born, you know, I think there was a certain question, there were certain questions that we were asking, like, do we need to be wearing masks? I mean, does she, does my wife need to be wearing a mask when in the birthing process? What's, what's the deal here? And of course they seem to be very, um, uh, very relaxed. And by the way, I've got to give credit. We, we were at Northwest hospital and we, the first time we, uh, had, had our first kid, um, uh, he was born at BSA and they did a tremendous job. Uh, this time, uh, she was born at Northwest. Um, and I got to give them a lot of credit. There was a several, a couple of different nurses, um, but one specifically named Charity, who did a phenomenal job. She assists on flights that are emergency rescue flights. She's on the flight team, on the flight crew. I actually thought that when she came in and she had a tag on that said flight crew, I thought that that was some type of a, you know, a, like a, a play on words, like, hey, I'm part of the flight crew. I'll be with you during this flight and take <laughs> off. And when we land, when the baby's here. Um, no, that wasn't it. It was a very, uh, very much a real deal. And she uh, was incredible. And uh, I am so, I'm, it was people like that, you know, that were able to understand the difference when it's appropriate and when it's inappropriate to wear um, things like that and to do the social distancing. Sometimes people need our help and we have to break those rules in order to help them. Mm -hmm. And I think doctors understand this to, to a great extent. I think we could probably say with, uh, I don't know what percentage and I wouldn't want to make one up. Uh, but, but, but certainly there's a certain number. Teachers understand this as well. And here at Amarillo College with our culture of caring and the things that we saw our students going through, uh, words can't explain uh, how many times I wanted to step through the screen and, you know, pat somebody on the back uh, or, you know, shake their hand, especially mm -hmm. on the first day of class, getting to know people, uh, letting, them, letting them know that everything was going to be okay. And sometimes just hearing those words means the, means the world. 
So that's been difficult for the last year because we, I think both of us share this in common, that we build personal relationships with our students, um, sometimes that last for decades. And I don't want any of that to have gone away because Mm -hmm. this was such a unique experience to grow closer to students um, and to assist each other. They help us just like we help them in some ways because they give us a boots on the ground type of, some of our students were working throughout the pandemic. Yes. And I mean, I, um, in, in jobs where they interacted and interfaced with the public, uh, on a day-to-day basis. Um, some people that were opening the grocery stores, the people that typically you would think, um, would not be categorized as, um, uh, first line responders are categorized now in that, in that group of individuals that we were like, thank you. You know, I don't know if thank you for your service is a lot of, is, is in place there, but certainly thank you for showing up right? and not being, not letting your fear overwhelm your reason and your principle to the degree that you decided not to show up to work because this is so needed. Right. People have to have food. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Absolutely. I agree with you. And it is, it's, I mean, it was definitely um, a time where, you know, we had individuals who stepped up that probably didn't even realize they were doing it. They were just doing what they've always done. I go to work, but their working actually made and would be a huge impact if they didn't show up. And I think that, you know, sometimes we don't, we sometimes when you do something, you don't realize it because it's just what you've always done until there is a crisis or something. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, okay. You know, but this is what I've always done. So I don't really expect that from anybody, but at the same time, it's like, I think they need to hear it. Like we, you know, thank you to all the people who did show up that we were, you know, we needed the truck drivers, right? What? Oh, man. Um, that farmers. Um, I'm just, I'm anybody that had to do with the whole process of getting food so people could eat because ranchers. Ranchers. Thank you, ranchers. Thank you. I mean, there's so many people that we don't, you just don't think, oh, but in the line of it, they were still working when a lot of people were not. Um, and if you're not, if you weren't working, not because I'm, um, for the most part, not because anybody wanted to, like nobody wanted to stop working. But, you know, there were some places that you just didn't have the ability to go to work anymore, but you still need food. You still need drinking water. You still need electricity. You still need, right, all of these things. So I think that, you know, some of the people that we don't necessarily give thanks to on a regular basis needed it. And we were all of a sudden, it opened our eyes to how much we, they were an essential part to the whole society and to our living. So, right. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And liquor stores as well. Although our, 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 our friends in the bartending industry were not, uh, were not being able to open for some social distancing reasons, uh, which caused great economic, um, you know, hardship on them. Mm -hmm. It's understandable from a public health perspective and that policies that were being implemented on that side. Um, but from the standpoint of the individual and societal impact, not being able to pay their bills, um, not being able to uh, have the dignity that a job gives us. Absolutely. The self-accomplishment, the fulfillment that we get out of getting to see and socialize with other people. Um, all of those things are things that we can identify with, surely, and, um, and understand also that the liquor stores remained open. I had no earthly idea that liquor stores would remain open until I got to thinking about the other side of that. 
uh, and and it made a lot of sense um, to keep the liquor stores open. Yeah, <laughs> I think we, we talk about that. I think in our social sciences, we have something to say about it. Sure, so. absolutely, always. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm. I'm just again. This is. It feels great to be able to be doing this again. Um, I mean, even. And we talked about it a lot coming back and, you know, getting a podcast talking about during the pandemic, because I know that there's a lot of people who would, you know, benefited from just having a podcast that identified and, um, you know, sympathized and, you know, that you could feel like, oh, yeah, they get it. And um, but, you know, we didn't have the opportunity. It was crazy. There may be been a couple of opportunities, but our lives were really we were influenced just as much. And a lot of people don't, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, well, certain people, they don't have to. And But everything was a lot different. So I'm just glad that we are finally back and we can start talking about a lot of different things. Um, I'm excited about this. I guess, I don't know, we're calling it season or year right. um, of podcasts that we're going to be, you know, putting out because we're going to be tackling a lot of different and really intense and but also fun and hopefully, um, I don't know, just good things that people can relate to and understand that, you know, we're here and we get it and we want to, you know, we want to know, we want you guys to, you know, be a part of some of the really intense conversations that we have had that are going around in the country, but also, um, understand that we still want to have some fun and we still want you guys to be along and listening and being like, you know what, now I'm going to have a good day. So I'm, I'm just excited that we're back. We're back. We're back. <laughs> we're back. Uh, so also um, to go back to a previous topic, we were talking a little bit about the anti-racism work that, mm-hmm. our, that our college is taking on. It's a little bit beyond poverty. It's a little bit beyond, uh, it's a little culture bit beyond our culture of caring, uh, although it's a part of it. I mean, it's, it's an intimate and intricately part and wound up in, in the culture of caring. I think in all of it, it really is. It's, I think, there was a good way that we were talking about. It's an extension of the culture of caring. So it's not a new creature. It is an extension to what we were doing already. Right. Uh, I needed to go into and start reading, 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 reading. And so I read, um, I, I hadn't read this yet. And now I think that it's kind of a, 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 a cult classic, if you will, Ibram Kendi's uh, anti, uh, how to be an anti-racist. Um, also a cult classic, uh, now, uh, which is white fragility, uh, why white people have a hard time talking about race and racism. Um, and what Cornell West has to say about the subject and some of the, you know, I'm not trying to in any way, you know, make, create division. That's not what I'm trying to do, nor is it something that I ever try to do. Um, but, uh, the fact that there's differences of opinion um, in the community of people who believe that, that racism does need to be tackled and that and in the approaches that people believe that they take and the way that they construct socially construct their worldviews, I think is very important for us to maybe we can talk about it a little bit. Um, um, I would love to do a whole podcast on that. We could do a series on it. I'm, I'm just, I do. I mean, it is, we've, you know, we've both been in um, conversations with many other people about different things on race. And, um, you know, it is, for some people, it really is a hard, 
a hard topic to talk about. And, um, and I really think that it depends on how you come into the conversation. If you came into a conversation thinking you are completely right and everything they have is wrong, that's going to be a very tense, um, highly, maybe even vulnerable, aggressive kind of conversation. But if you come in understanding like, you know what, I don't know everything. I want to learn. And, um, you know, you have somebody who's in that same realm that understands that they also doesn't matter where you come, you do not know everything. And, you know, together you're experiencing the idea and the conversation. I think it just, it lends towards a better conclusion and it's never going to be over. So I, that's, I don't necessarily love the conclusion part, but at the same time, the conversation is going to be a better conversation. And, um, you know, and instead of having like an extremist side, you know, there is, I mean, anytime you look at almost everything that we talk about, when we have the extremes, we have what we call confirmation bias. We have where you only see your side and you discredit everything else. And um, with that extreme, it really makes people not want to hang out. You know, mask shaming. Yeah, that was going on oh, and, uh, during in the in the big stores yes. whenever they were still open. Like mask shaming, yeah. the vaccination policy, political. I mean race. I mean, everything. It's very, you know, when we have the extremes, it's, it's, you can't communicate because they're not, that no one's listening. We're not open when you're in the extremes. Eventually we need, um, we also need to talk about police and policing. Yes. Uh, Gosh, uh, there's, there's so many different things, uh, forces on the move with regard to policing and talking about um, what police do, what they deal with on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Is there racism systemically uh, within policing and having a conversation with not only police, but people that um, uh, might be watchdogs or, or, or uh, maybe want to have a conversation with police about the way that they go about doing their job. Um, maybe we could even facilitate some ride-alongs. Right. And oh, that would be fun. Yeah, if, if that was possible. I know, maybe. And we could do like the live mic phones while we're in it. Um, But one thing I was just going to bring up because we're, you know, we're going to try to bring up current stuff that's happening right now. And there was um, in California, there was a student and a professor talking about the police. And um, they were talking, um, the student was really upset about the cancel culture. We're going to talk about that for a while as well um, through different podcasts, I'm sure. But the cancel culture. And he was saying that people want to cancel Paw Patrol. Do you have you heard this? Yeah, I have. I've because heard it portrays cops in a good, positive way. Right. And yeah. he was like, "Well, the truth is, cops are heroic. They show up to places that other people don't. When you need help, you're that's who you call." And the professor adamantly disagreed with him. Um, and it was it's a conversation I think that people need to have. And I don't know. That it should have been, you know, um, I don't think it's anybody's place to tell somebody else that they're wrong on their opinion, Hmm. no matter what. I think that I can definitely tell you my opinion, but I'm not going to tell you you're wrong and that I'm right. Um, I also, I'm one thing that with that, because he did say, you know, that cops, you know, there are, there are a lot of cops that are heroes. Police are, can be heroes. Absolutely. Um, The professor responded by saying all of them. And of course he, you know, he responded and said, well, maybe not all of them, but there's bad people in all professions. It's not just, 
Like there's this enormous amount of people that are cops that are horrible people. Right. right? Um, and that's really what he said. And she, she disagreed. And I have, um, I have a problem when people say all, every, that just doesn't make any sense because it's not true because you cannot, there's no way I can't say all things are this because it's not, we're going to find somebody who's not. So that's a false statement. Right. Just kind of like saying LOL after every, every, every now and then on your, you know, on social media or having some type of a, you know, an emoji that has like the tears cause you're laughing so hard. I don't believe that every single time I see that people are actually crying because they're laughing so hard. Right. That would give me a misimpression of my, and, and it would, it would prevent me from fully understanding what people are getting, what they're not getting. Um, and so maybe that's, that's something that uh, we should think about in terms of and reflect on when we're giving people feedback is that LOL laughing out loud all the time isn't necessarily laughing out loud all the time, but rather an ex just a response. Right. I'm saying 100%. I gotcha. You know, it, those are those are just signs of affirmation that maybe, you know, not should be taken like, oh, they agree with me. Absolutely. Therefore, you know, and get and draw a conclusion. Yeah. You know, that's a that's that's a different that leads us down a different type of road. <clears throat> particularly if that person holds political power um, and uh, and is easily swayed by those types of statements. Um, we do have a new president, and I've got a list of, of some things that um, that were a comp that we just now had a hundred uh, hundred days. Uh, it was uh, there was a rally in Georgia a couple of days ago, and so uh, I wouldn't mind visiting a little bit about that. Okay, you guys, can you believe? It's been a hundred days. What? I can't. I'm this. Okay. I think that the more we get back to normal, right? I'm by the time you can't see me, but I'm totally doing the air quotes because I don't know what's normal anymore, but um, it's like the faster the time goes. I like we're already in May. Is it May? Yet? Well, we're not yet, but we're, close. we're there. We're close. And I can't, I was shocked. It was already April and now it's already May. It's like, what is happening? And I think that um, the fact that you just said it's been a hundred days, I'm like, what? Seriously? Okay. So let's see, what are some of the things that, you know, are brought up? Okay. So Operation Warp Speed under uh, the Trump administration uh, in which we took private uh, industries, pharmaceutical industries, big pharma ask them to come up with uh, vaccines and ask them to do it as fast as possible. So they're testing um, the vaccines at the same time that they're producing them, knowing that there's going to be a lot of uh, wasted spending at times and there's going to be failures and things of that nature, but that, but that the government was going to intervene and, and we can have a long conversation about when it's appropriate maybe for governments to intervene. There's no silver bullet or a right answer on this. I mean, life is the same way. When is it okay to intervene in your child's life and interrupt somebody or maybe somebody that is uh, an alcoholic that needs somebody to step in? When is the appropriate time to do that? Well, it's it hard depends. to tell and it, it depends. It's relative That's to the situation. That can't be true. Yeah. Nothing is <laughs> nothing is like that in life. There are no mitigating circumstances. Uh, always. Um, however, but the I mean, at the same time, this this kind of brings up an interesting uh, an interesting point. We did end up getting the America was we um, we is America um, is that uh, we did get this the vaccines. We not only did we get the vaccines, we've got a 
like a list of vaccines to choose from. So people that choose to get vaccines and get vaccinated uh, have a uh, kind of a plethora. Every time I think of plethora, I think of three amigos. Oh my that, gosh, the a plethora, plethora of, pin- of piñatas. So <laughs> we have a plethora of piñatas <laughs> to choose from in terms of vaccinations, and um, and so that's that's a an interesting an interesting little outcome. I don't. I mean, I'd be I may be wrong, and I would like to know if I am. I don't know that that's ever happened before. I would, I would probably, I'm going to go with probably not. I mean, immediate. I just, I'm, I constantly, you people who have been, you know, dealing with, they, they need a drug, they need this. Um, and you know, it was important to people living at that, you know, in order to save their lives, nobody's pushed anything this fast along to save lives as they have for COVID, which I mean, I think there's a, there's a good and a bad. There's pros and cons to both these. Yes, we're saving lives because of the possible, we're possibly saving lives because of the vaccine. Right. Okay, but, you know, with we, we've talked about this before. A lot of times when we have really good intentions, we do not know the side effects yet. Right. And um, there's always something that comes from it, and more often than not. And, um, you know, I've heard a lot of conversations of people who are like, wait, you know, great. I'm glad you got the vaccine, but we don't know what's going to happen a year or five years from now. And, you know, the sure. jokey, the jokey, jokey, oh, we're going to hear a commercial that says, if you've taken the vaccine, <laughs> here's the law office you can call. And, um, you know, even though it's joking, it is kind of in people's minds like, you know, how much testing has been done and, you know, how much testing is normally done when we do vaccines and drugs and how long does it take to, you know, produce this and how long did we do this? And, you know, it's just, it's, uh, there's always going to be some pros and cons and people, I think it's healthy. I think that is a healthy thing to happen when anything happens is there should be conversations of, oh, you know, I just, it shouldn't be a full buy-in of, yeah, I'm going. Well, I mean, if they had done that in the Cuban Missile Crisis, Another another example of a, a, a true emergency in which, um, you know, some of the prevailing wisdom of uh, military commanders at the time was to invade Cuba. Do it. Just go in and do it. Take them out. Take out the threat. This is but that that wisdom was maybe a little bit antiquated, just a little bit. And, and with all the good, that's the job of the military is to provide good, sound military policy and advice to the president. The president doesn't have to take the advice. The president can accept it. He can move on uh, as uh, Kennedy did and continue through a diplomatic channel, even if it's an unconventional diplomatic channel. Interesting little uh, conversation for us to be having. Absolutely. Something that thinks about that I think about uh, in terms of America is now that we have so many vaccines that are being produced and in production, now the rest of the world is looking at America, not saying... Um, Look at how terrible you are in your federal response to this. But now the criticism is now you have a responsibility to the rest of the world to give all the things that you guys have been working on for the last year, you know, in an emergency response to uh, provide to come to countries that uh, cannot afford it. And I don't disagree that countries uh, that uh, have a great deal of economic disparity um, we are a very wealthy country and we have a lot to give and we have a lot of um, 
uh, a lot of uh, farming, farming and agriculture and oil and gas and all kinds of other things that we can help people out with. But this is one that I think can have some blowback if if we're not careful. Right. right? So what like, if? look what's going on in India right now. We could provide 100,000 vaccinations to India. Now, I think that there are infection rated right now at this particular time. It's April 30th, Friday at 9.22 a.m. Somewhere around 300 plus 400 million or 400,000 new infections reportable today. Um, there's a lot of concern that that's a deeply undercounted number. That's an incredibly intense figure to deal with, right? So if out of that group of people, there is a 0.05% that are going to be susceptible, and that's that's not including the modern medicine the United States has. So maybe we can increase that percentage and just, uh, just you know, um, to include that factor and that little variable, um, big variable. Yeah. Uh, and uh, say that there's going to be a certain number of, uh, of more deaths than significantly than uh, what we saw even in America, that we have a responsibility to provide those vaccines to them. And then we find out five years, six years from now, you know, that there is something else. Guess who's responsible for that? Exactly. Well, we are. And but this totally comes personal down accountability. To, yeah, this comes down to the whole idea of pro-social behavior. <laughs> when to decide if someone needs help, and then once you do, you now become responsible for them. So even if you, you know, in your best intentions, and that's what we your best intentions, I'm going to help. And then if something happens because of your help, that's on you. <laughs> it's like ah, like what do we do? Right. And it is. It's. I think that's a no whole nother conversation we could have on this. Wow. Okay. So we're coming up on, on an hour here. I know our listeners that uh, are sitting on the treadmills or stand home. Nice. Hopefully you're not sitting on the treadmill, <laughs> but uh, walking on the treadmills. Oh, which is a whole other conversation. Gyms um, and gyms opening, gyms closing, uh, gyms standing up to the uh, to the government. Yeah. Uh, in certain cases, New Jersey, I believe. Yes. Well, um, all yeah. over. Right. Like different. Um, in in addition to the uh, the the movement to buy home gym equipment and just work out at home, uh, that's a all of that is another Peloton and how are we going to continue to be healthy and and what yeah. how what kind of effect is this going to have on all those things? So we have a lot to look forward to. I think in the upcoming in the upcoming season. Yes, um, this whole season, by the way, typically lasts about. Uh, a fiscal year for us, which yeah. is, which we, I think we started in March of 2018, maybe 2000. I can't no, believe that. Yeah, that's right. March of 2018. Cause it took about a semester to get this off the ground mm -hmm. um, after you and I became friends. And, and that was, uh, you know, that was a thing. So fiscal year for our podcast is March. Typically I believe they begin and end in September. But not for so us. Not March. for us. So our, yeah, it's fiscal year. It's no, like spring break and then year. we're like, oh, what happened? Maybe it's a podcast year. <laughs> there we go. So it starts in March, ends in March. So it's a good way to remember it's spring break. So yeah, uh, much love to our audience. Thank y'all so much for listening today. Yes. Um, and hey, if there's anything y'all want to talk about, let us know. Please do. You know, we've got a Facebook page. Go and like the page, follow the page. Uh, we've got an Instagram feed. Go follow the feed. Uh, like it. Um, please reach out to us if you have an episode idea that you want us to Or you if you want to discuss. come on and be a guest. Right. If you have, we love some guests. Some look, if you want to be a guest on here and you think you've got something to say, uh, let us know. 
and uh, and we'll be happy to visit with you as long as it's as long as it's courteous and it's polite social discourse. We're all in. So yeah. uh, much love to everybody. Uh, God bless, and we will see you soon. Yes, have a good one. All right, bye. Bye.